Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. It's official. The Jets will draft second in the 2021 NFL draft and for the second straight week. They win a game they had no business winning on paper. We'll try to make sense of it all over the next about an hour. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating and review on Apple. We have a lot to get to. Is there any chance Adam Gase maybe has ownership considering him bringing him back? We'll talk about that. Has Sam Darnold extended his stay in New York? That's something as well. Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, one over the other. But first, we talk about a love affair that started with a wiener. <laughs> Connor, the floor is yours. Yeah, so this is like, I finally like told uh, Tim and Marissa this story because it's been like an inside joke uh, between me and my my friends from, from home forever. Like really, and, and I know like people are like, oh, let's get to Jets talk. We will, we got plenty of time. We, we were gonna be on this thing for probably an hour, maybe a little bit longer than an hour. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna enjoy ourselves today. Um, but I know uh, I was kind of like, I was trying to tell these guys a story. So for those people that don't know, I think the majority of people know is I'm getting married this year. Uh, my fiance and I, Brianne, decided uh, or got engaged in December of last year. Wedding's on for June. Um, so over the last like couple of weeks now, last couple of months, uh, Brianne, with very little help from me because it's something that is not my area of expertise and I'm kind of bowing out of this one, has been going through the whole like wedding planning process. So we just sent out our save the dates. They, I think, I hope Tim and Marissa both got theirs. Um, so we... Uh, Sent out to save the dates and, and all the listeners before, should be getting theirs very soon. <laughs> yeah, very. Yeah, we're, we decided we were going to go from like, you know, some people like the, the 150 wedding, 175. We were like, all right. I mean, we had like 9000 people listen to the last episode. So we're going <laughs> to send them all out there as, as a thank you. Uh, I'm just going to need a bigger boat. But um, so a process, a part of this process of doing it is is the website now that you have to make, because that's where you tell people where to get their hotels and, and you get your like tie the knot website or whatever. So. Brie and I had to write our hour story. So I'm a writer. So, right. So that kind of is like the one job that I can do. I can find this writing thing. So Brie and I decided the first line of our writing is going to say it all started with a wiener. And for some people, they're immediately going to turn around and be like, oh, my God, sexual connotation, sexual connotation. But anyone who knows us and it was very clear in the uh, ensuing graph is that it had nothing to do with with that wiener, it was actually about hot dogs because Brie and I started dating when we were in high school and we met at our very first job, which was Brewster's Ice Cream, Nathan's Hot Dogs. She was an, an ice cream girl and I was uh, I worked in the grilling area with the hot dogs in the Nathan's section and, and that's when we met our first at our first job, you know, spent like four months trying to get her to go on a date and then eventually she did and we went to Rita's Water Ice because we're, you know, high school budget and all that stuff. Reed so, is a solid first date choice. Oh, yeah, except for the fact, and that it's Italian ice. It's not water ice, but continue. Oh, yeah, I'm, oh, you're Polish. 
Are you no, like, into, like, like you're gonna specify like Italian ice polo shot water? It's, it's like, ha- is that... No, like that's what it's not called. Polish. It's not water ice, but okay, keep going. So, water wait, ice wait. is the stuff that's like red, white, and blue, and they like squirt the. Yes, exactly. Oh, got you. Oh, okay. All right, I didn't know that. So, uh, like that's like it all started with a wiener, and it was like a hot dog. It's a funny. It'll make everyone laugh. The true story, though, that is about to be told now for the first time to the masses, <laughs> is that. That is technically not the wiener that started my relationship with Brie. And only my best, best friends know this story. Brie knows this story. Tim and Marissa know this story because I told them. And now the can't wait viewership will know the true story. When I was a sophomore in high school, I did not have a job yet. But I did have a teacher. And it was my chemistry teacher. I was in chemistry class, all that stuff. Just a teacher. Like, Let's leave it at that. Leave, yeah, yeah, I'm not going names. Yeah, we're not okay. dropping names. We're trying to get sued. <laughs> we, we just we just had a new PR. We got to thank everyone. We just had a new PR on our, uh, on our viewership for the last episode. I don't feel like canceling the Can't Wait podcast here. But good producing there, Marissa. <laughs> yeah. Live producing. Yeah, good, good also uh, realizing where Connor can slip up. Um, there's no, <laughs> there's no, there's no uh, dump button here to like kind of erase my last seven seconds. But uh, so we had this, uh, like I had a chemistry teacher. I, I, we had a good time. Like he was actually very laid back. It was kind of ridiculous. Um, play like all this stuff, whatever. Chem, uh, chem tennis. We would like stand between the lab tables with chem books and hit a ball back and forth. And we had like tournaments and stuff. It was whatever. It was a fun teacher. So one day I go into class and uh, my chemistry teacher is not there. And I was like, okay, he must have called out. So I go home that day and, and the guy who's going to be one of my best men calls me and goes like, Connor, you won't believe what happened to this guy. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, he just, he's out of class today. He missed it. He was like, had his, had his, uh, what do you call it? He had like a, a teacher convention or whatever it is. Like, I don't know what he is. Or maybe he had a sick day. He goes, no, he got arrested. And I was like, what are you talking about? He got arrested. So it turns out that in detention, he had revealed himself to a student. And as he did that, another teacher walked by the room and saw him. So he got arrested. Obviously, he ended up being convicted or uh, uh, is it convicted guilty? Convicted of it. I guess you're convicted of it. I don't know. I'm clearly not very well versed in the legal world, but he was convicted of the crime and he was accused of went to jail, all this stuff. So obviously he is no longer my chemistry teacher. Next day we get a new chemistry teacher, uh, who I can say her name, Miss Brzezanski. I don't probably not a Jet fan, probably not watching this, but Miss Brzezanski replaces my old chemistry teacher. Second week, Miss Brzezanski is our chemistry teacher. She comes in with a flyer that says, "If any of you are looking for your very first job, there's a new ice cream and hot dog place opening: Brewster's Ice Cream, Nathan's Hot Dogs on Route 70." So I applied. I meet Brienne Galvin, who went to another high school, and and I never would have met her if it was not for the revealing of uh, of this this chemistry teacher, which got him fired and brought in Brzezanski. So uh, I, I told Bri, I was like, I felt like that lead, it all started with a wiener, was so perfect because it had double meaning. You had, obviously, we met at an ice cream parlor, but also there is no Connor and Bri. There is no future children that will be born down the road if not for that slip up in detention class. This may be the best open of any of our podcasts, um, but I, I just don't know what I, know, I can safely saying, like, say like, to follow it up. Oh, wait, I so you have to, to God, why we're telling I mean, this story. God, I hand to God, it is true. A hand to God, it is true. Like that is a dead honest true story. Okay, but you so, need to explain why we're telling this story. So the reason we're telling this story is because Brie and I, obviously we write the initial what is going to go on our website 
that of our camp of of my save the uh, the not whatever the Connor breathe the not website. We write that it, like it all started with a wiener is there. I've seen it because we go over the story. I write the one. Bree and I go back. She changes some things. I change some things. I make sure the tenses are right. I make it all grammarly correct. Where it was like, what up's up there? Like it's it's up there. So I see that the save the dates have gone out because like Marissa texted me, family texted me like, oh my god, we got it. One of my friends like, thanks for the magnet. Like like joking. And so I go, like, they send me a picture of the magnet. I see the website. I'm like, oh, the website's up. So I went to the website to screenshot the story to tell you guys the inner workings of the story. And I go to the R story section of the website. And the it all started with a wiener's gone. It's not in there. And I'm like, how is it gone? I saw it. I wrote it. I saw it. It was up there. What happened to it all started with a wiener? So Bree is in the, in the kitchen, like, doing whatever. And I'm like, hey, B. And she's like, yeah, I was like. It all started with a wiener's gone. And she goes, how do you know that? And I was like, I'm reading it. And she goes, she's like, I never thought you were going to go on that website. So she, she was convinced I was never going to go on the website. I was going to live this entire time thinking that it all started with a wiener was there while she had taken it out. Because she said, she goes, I, she goes, I agree. It's funny. She goes, but I don't know if uh, grandma, grandpa, and aunts and uncles are going to find the same humor. I was like, uh, yeah, they will. I think it's amazing. Like, again, it was the perfect double meaning because the next graph we drop in about how we met at Brewster's Ice Cream Nathan's Hot Dogs. But the true meaning is that I don't know Brie. Like, I do not know her if not for this guy revealing himself in detention to this girl and getting fired. Like, it's the most, like, butterfly effect because if he doesn't, like, there will, someday Brie and I will, will, God willing, have children and there will be children walking this earth, impacting this earth for the better or worse that are not here if not for that guy making that decision in detention class, they would not be here. Period. Because there's no like Brie lived thirty minutes away. There's no way. What I'm going to run into her bowling alley and fall in love? Like that's not going to happen. Like I don't know her. If not for that, wild. Well, maybe I get hired. At, like I tried to work at a Chinese restaurant and a pizza place. Maybe I work there and I'm married to someone else now. And maybe I'm not even a Jets beat writer. Maybe there is no Can't Wait podcast. Who knows? Oh my god! Butterfly effect. The butterfly, butterfly effect is insane. Yeah. Butterfly. Maybe Adam Gase stays the Jets coat. I don't know. Yeah, we're going to go Jets talk now. I feel like, what the hell is going on right now? <laughs> it's not an easy transition from that story to the New York Jets. There's probably some inappropriate ones, but we'll go right into it. Um, let's start with, as we do get into the Jets, let's start with Gase, Darnold. Those are the two guys that for mo- most of this season, uh, we've all known, you know, this is the end. They're gone. Trevor Lawrence is going to be the next quarterback. Sam Darnold's going to be traded. Adam Gase is gone. Now they've won two games in a row. They have one game to go. First, I think we should calm people's fears that Adam Gase will be back. That's not happening. He's not coming back. But we should get into Sam Darnold and what these last two games and what this New England game, Connor, mean for him because he seems to be playing himself into a role because the draft pick is gone and now it's a trickier formula. Yeah, you mentioned it, and I'll just I'll hammer down on it real quick. Is that uh, which is funny? Bree Bree made sure I, I look over because Marissa, as the podcast, the loyal listeners of the Can We Podcast, know Marissa does the tweeting. So I looked over into my text message to see if Marissa has in fact taken over the tweeting I for just today's podcast. <laughs> and and I have a text message from Bree that says, "Make sure to tell them that we didn't leave it in there." So it's <laughs> like she wants to make sure that everyone knows that it is not the the Wiener line is no longer in our in our love story. Sadly, I lost that battle. It's, it's lost the battle. I'll win the war eventually. And I'll make it in some speech. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that it was still a topic that that Gase might come back next year. 
I didn't know that was something people were still concerned about. I didn't know that was something people that like fans actually thought was happening. No, like Gase is gone. Like he's he's going to be fired. The decision to fire him was made weeks ago. The reason that the Jets have held on to him is is the reasons that we've stressed on this podcast over and over again. And and maybe there's new people tuning in. Maybe it needs to be said again. But the reasons why the Jets did not want to fire Adam Gase after the loss to the Denver Broncos or after the loss to Seattle Seahawks or any at any other point this season is there were basically three main ones. The one was that they did not believe that they had a suitable replacement on the coaching staff that could take in, fill in, and be this team's next head coach. Like they didn't see Greg Williams as a realistic option. They didn't see uh, Denard Wilson as a realistic option. They thought Adam Gase was kind of the only one that was there. Uh, obviously they liked that the team was still fighting hard and all that stuff, but more so number two, they thought that if they fired Adam Gase and they put another person in here to call the plays for, for Sam Darnold, it would be another obstacle and another variable that they would have to consider when deciding if they want to bring him back next year. You know, the Jets top priority this year was they want to know what they've got in Sam Darnold. They want to know if they have a franchise quarterback or not. And they thought if they fired Gase and had, you know, Jim Bob Cooter calling plays or Dow Loggins, as he did end up calling plays, it was just going to be, a, okay, well, is Sam learning a brand new offense? And is that why he's fired? And the other thing was that Woody Johnson had a reputation of having a quick trigger finger when it came to coaches, that if, if it didn't work out and it didn't go well, he was going to fire him and that he was going to let him go and they were going to be gone. And then the next one was in there. Christopher realized that this roster was in dire shape. Christopher realized that, that, I mean, even the best coaches were not going to have immense success with this team. Would they have been better than Gates? Yeah, probably. But they wouldn't be playoff contenders, Super Bowl. So they didn't, he didn't want to run the risk that future coach that they are going to hire would turn the Jets down and not want to coach the Jets because they didn't give Adam Gates enough time. So he was like, you know what? Let's just ride it out. We'll keep him as our head coach. It's no big deal. That's why Adam Gase is still a team's head coach. Have the Jets continued to fight week in and week out? Absolutely. Have the Jets put forth an effort? Absolutely. Are the Jet is it is it stunning that the Jets are actually winning games after starting the season 0-13, getting their butt kicked by the Seattle Seahawks and having uh with considering injuries, guys on IR and guys that are no longer here, probably undeniably one of the least talented teams in the NFL. Yeah, it it kind of is. That's all a feather in Gase's cap. It, it kind of justifies the team's decision to keep him around this year. But he's gone. Like, he's not going to be back. Christopher Johnson realizes wholeheartedly that he has made a, a mistake in not necessarily hiring Adam Gase, but the process in which he went about hiring Adam Gase. He realizes there are things that he did wrong the last coaching cycle that he is not going to do again. And... While the Jets have played hard these last couple of weeks, while the Jets have looked better these last couple of weeks, and while they're they're still going through, and you had Sam Darnold sing Adam Gase's praises, and you had Ter- Terrell Basham go to bat for him, like I've never seen anyone go to bat for it. It was almost like Gase was standing in a corner, like staring at him, like you better, you're gonna get cut if you don't say something nice. Like it was absurd <laughs> how like Adam Gase is my friend, like it was like oh my god. But I mean that, and then Jamison Crowder kind of sort of maybe going to bat for him, in spite of like all this stuff, like he's still gone. This team went 7-9 and nine last year after a 1-7 and seven start, which was good. It warranted Gase coming back. But they started the season 0-13. The offense has been absolutely dreadful. The defense has been worse. The team doesn't win games. They find ways to lose games. I mean, you, you don't bring someone back after that. They are going to be starting new. It is going to be Joe Douglas 
who picks this team's next head coach. Christopher Johnson's going to be involved in the search. He's going to obviously have a say, but it is Joe Douglas. He's going to hand control this to Joe Douglas, say, whoever you want, go get him. I'm going to be involved in the interview process. I obviously want to know who we're going to do. I want to know your thinking. I want to know your thought press, but it's going to be Joe Douglas who picks this team's next head coach, much like it was kind of Mike McCacken who was involved in the Adam Gase hiring. So it's going to be Joe Douglas. But Joe Douglas is going to be picking an ex-head coach. They're not going to bring Adam Gase back. He is going to be fired. I don't know how clear I can make that. I think there was a chance he was going to be let go today if the Jets had lost to the Browns. That the Jets, because now they can actually get a jump start on their coaching search, they would let him go. Obviously, you can't fire a coach after he loses, after he beats two playoff teams and wins two in a row in terms of like right now. But they're still going to let him go. I'm going to say it again. For all the people in the back, (laughs) Adam Gase is not going to be this team's head coach in 2021. It's not going to happen. If they beat the Patriots starting all of their backups, not going to change anything. Them beating the Rams and the Browns does not change anything. The Jets will have a new coach on the sideline in 2021. I don't know who that coach will be, but Joe Douglas will pick him, and he will be new, and he will not be Adam Gase. So please, just take a deep breath. Take a step back. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Well, I should say I know it's going to be fine. I don't know if it's going to be fine, but I know Gase (laughs) is not going to be the coach. Where, yeah, um, it, it is interesting that those reports that if they had lost, he would have been fired. Because to me, if you want to get a head start on the interview process, then it doesn't matter that he won a game to go two and 13. They should have just fired him anyway. I mean, that to me, that decision shouldn't be sitting on whether or not they they beat the Browns. But it is what it is. Um, if anything, watching that game. I think probably made Jets fans even more angry towards the head coach because you saw like the Crowder pass play to Berrios, which was a really well-designed trick play that we've seen nothing close to all season long, right? He waited till now to to bust out that great play. And and there was some other plays during the game where you were like, really? I mean, where, where was this all season? Um, but anyway, that's enough of Gase. On to Darnold, who's who's a little bit of a different story because it was a no-brainer, Trevor Lawrence over Sam Darnold. That was going to happen. But now that Trevor Lawrence is out of the picture, Connor, it makes things interesting because, and we'll get to it a little bit later. We'll talk about uh, the other quarterbacks. We'll talk about Wilson in the Boca Raton Bowl last week when he lit it up. But just from Darnold's perspective, what he's done the last two weeks, which has not been play great quarterback, it's been limit the mistakes, manage the game, win the football game. Is that enough, do you think, for this team to think differently about whether or not they can win with him at quarterback going forward? If Sam against the Rams had thrown for 300 and three touchdowns and one interception, and and the Jets won that game because Sam had a pretty impressive offensive showing. I would kind of go like, that was a good step. Like it would kind of in the back of my head make me say like, hmm. And then if he came back against the Browns and against the Browns, he threw for another 320 and another three touchdowns and no picks and the Jets won again. I think I would say like, okay, now there there might be something here because now he's played the first game. You know, he's got his weapons back. The offensive play calling kind of found some rhythm. The offensive line's playing well. He's playing better competition. He's really getting going. When I look at, like, these two games the Jets won with Sam, I don't see 
I don't see a quarterback that that you can say this guy has budding franchise quarterback potential. I don't think Sam has done anything these last two weeks. Yes, the Jets have won. Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. But they haven't won because of Sam Darnold. You know, they I think they won the first game because the Rams slept walk through an entire half. And I think they won the second game because Baker Mayfield played horrid. The Browns quite literally had absolutely no receivers. And the Jets defense kind of did what they did when they went six and two down the stretch and were just playing out of their minds football where it's not a talent thing, but it's an effort thing. And the Jets are willing themselves to having success. I just don't see any way and I don't see anything Sam has done through 11 starts and 16 weeks that is suddenly going to be erased in week 17 with a good game against the Patriots. I mean, I think what I constantly and routinely go back to is like, yeah, Sam, Sam had a, a um, Sam doesn't have the best talent at receiver. Uh, Sam doesn't have a great offensive line. Sam obviously has poor coaching. Jalen Hurts is a rookie quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts is a second round pick, not even a top 10 pick. He's playing on an Eagles offense that is decimated with injuries on the offensive line. He's playing with Eagles receivers that are decimated of talent, just much, much like the Eagles in terms of actually the Jets three receivers would probably all start for Philadelphia. I mean, that's how bad Philadelphia's three wide receivers are. And he's playing for a coach in Doug Peterson that is very much on the hot seat and they're talking about letting him go. Jalen Hurts played the Arizona Cardinals, another potential playoff team, in his very first start of his career. He went 24-44 for 338 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 63 rushing yards, and a touchdown. This past game against Dallas, I know the Cowboys' defense stinks, but they've been playing a little bit better as of late. He got The game got away from him a little bit in the second half, turned the ball over some, but still went 21-39 passing, 342 passing yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, and ran for 69 rushing yards. Nice. They... Those are numbers compiled against two decent, well, Cowboys aren't very, Cowboys are pretty bad, but the Cardinals are a very good team, by a rookie quarterback that both of those numbers would have been season highs for Sam Darnold. Yeah, he looked okay against the Rams, but he dinked and dunked and never took any chances through 207 yards and one touchdown. This game against the, the Cleveland Browns, like, did he, I, I'll be honest, at one point this game against the Cleveland Browns, I sent out a tweet like, if Sam keeps playing like this, I really think that you got to th- I mean, he's he's I'm thinking in my head like he's he's playing a lights out game. Like Sam is just next level good right now. And then I look at his numbers and it was midway through the third quarter. He had like 130 passing yards and two touchdowns. He finished the game 16 of 32, which is a 50% completion percentage, 175 passing yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, no picks, kudos. But his 175 passing yards, that's the eighth time in 11 starts he's been under 200. His two touchdowns it's just the second time this season he's done more than one touchdown in a game. These are not good numbers. The completion percentage. He entered the game with a 59 completion percentage. It's going to drop after you go 16 to 32. Like, I just don't, I don't see anything in Sam that, in my opinion, can warrant passing on a quarterback if Joe Douglas goes through his collegiate evaluation process and says Zach Wilson is a franchise quarterback or Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback, or Trey Lance is a franchise quarterback. If he says one of those three guys is a franchise quarterback, I don't know how you pass on drafting them at two based off of what you've seen from Sam Darnold this year. I mean, I, I do believe that if you put better weapons around Sam and you give him a better offensive line and you give him a better coach, his play will improve. 
I do believe that. I, I, I truly wholeheartedly think that his play will improve with better weapons, a better offensive line, and a better coaching staff. But you can kind of say that about any quarterback in the NFL. C.J. Beathard just threw three touchdowns for the 49ers. Yeah, he's got better talent than Sam Darnold. He obviously has better coaching with Shanahan, but it's still C.J. Beathard. Like, is the ceiling for Sam Darnold, if he gets the better weapons in line and coaching and all that stuff, is it Drew Brees or is it Kirk Cousins? You know, is it is like is it Russell Wilson or is it Ryan Fitzpatrick? And and I don't think that if you can if Joe goes through all of this evaluating, and that's the key in this, is he has to evaluate these these two realistic quarterbacks that he could potentially take it to in Fields and Wilson. I guess if you want to throw a third in Lance in there, you can, even though I don't really think that's an option at number two. But if he evaluates these three guys and he says, based off of my grade, this guy's a franchise quarterback. He gets a fran- he needs to be developed. He needs some work. He's not the can't miss prospect that Lawrence is. But based on my evaluation, this guy's a franchise quarterback. Sam hasn't done anything this season, and he hasn't done anything these last two weeks to warrant passing on that guy. And somebody tweeted me this, and I, I don't know who the the user is. I should I should probably go through and find him and give him a handle, but I or give him a shout out. But it, it was a, a very ideal situation because Panay Sewell is the one that the offensive tackle for Oregon is the one that fans seem to have like singled their mind in on because they're thinking about this offensive line combination of Mekhi Becton on the left side and uh, Sewell on the right side, or you flip them, whatever you want to do. And suddenly you got two bookend top tier next level offensive tackles that you're set with. One of the best tweets that was sent to me was somebody said, yeah, you know what? The Cleveland Browns had the best offensive tackle to ever play in the NFL. Sure. Helped them win Super Bowls. <laughs> like, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. And you need the coach. Obviously, that's a big piece of it. You need weapons. That's a big piece of it. You need a competent offensive line. That's a big piece of it. But you still need the quarterback. And I don't think Sam has done anything this season. And I don't think Sam has done anything throughout his career to you for you to justify passing on a guy that you believe is a franchise quarterback because of what you might have in Sam. I, j- I just don't think it. I think so. And, and even if you look at his performance in these last two games, like I said, the Jets didn't beat the Rams because of Sam. They didn't beat the Browns because of Sam. In a way, they kind of beat them in spite of him, and they beat them because he managed the game and they let their defense win. And then in year three, that's not what you want to be saying about your quarterback. If this was, if the stats that Sam had these last two games came from Jalen Hurts, you'd be like, okay, guy's a rookie quarterback developing. Maybe there's something there. But to be in your third year quarterback, the guy you're going to have to pay in a year, it just it doesn't make sense to me. All right, so if not Sam Darnold, let's talk about some of those other guys. And we talked about it last week that we were all going to be tuned into the uh, the Boca Raton Bowl, which I don't think anybody has ever watched before. <laughs> but Zach Wilson was on performance, uh, were on display in that game, uh, playing for BYU. And granted, it was against the University of Central Florida, but he did not disappoint. I mean, you can only ask so much of a quarterback in a game like that against the inferior team. You want him to light up, light things up, throw for a bunch of yards and touchdowns and, and show you what he can do. He did all of that. He threw for 425 yards. He threw for three touchdowns. He ran for two more touchdowns and showed off his athleticism. He did everything you would want to see, but it's against UCF. And he has played a few decent defenses this year, but BYU does not play the schedule that you know, Trevor Lawrence has played in the ACC or SEC quarterbacks played, or even even Justin Fields in a bad Big Ten played against some better defenses. Granted, he played poorly against them. But that said, looking at the tape, and, and Connor, we say this all the time, uh, we're not scouts, um, but you can still watch video and, and see 
what the guy does and what impresses versus maybe some questions. What stood out about Zach Wilson in that game Tuesday night? Yeah, and I made I started making my calls on the kid, and I reached out to a couple of people that obviously we had Dane on, and and if you guys want somebody who crunches the film and you want somebody whose opinion you want to value, I mean, I put Dane up there. I mean, I call NFL scouts, I call general managers, I call personnel directors. I mean, I I call former coaches, I call current coaches, and I ask their opinion and agents, and I ask their opinion on this guy. What Dane says, I put right up with them just because they're, you know, I can say, Oh, a scout told me, you know, I put what Dane says right up there with those guys. And I, I, there's, there's some hype around this kid. I mean, there was one agent who said he has like, I talked to him and he said like, he was just calling one of the scouts that helps him go to clients to find out who he wants to represent, who was comparing Wilson to like, he has like, uh, um, Mahomes like qualities. And obviously that's, you kind of laugh in your face. I, I hate when people say that because, like, that's just, you're like, there's one Mahomes. And honestly, I might die saying the same thing, that there is one Mahomes, and that's it. And there's just never going to be a quarterback like him again, or there's not going to be a quarterback in a very long time about him again. But I watching that game against UCF, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to like. I mean, the guy's 6'3", which is really good size. He's, he's not as big as, as uh, Fields is. Fields is like the 230 chiseled, like jacked guy. Like, he can take a beating. I think Mil- uh, Wilson is more in like that 210 range, but like he goes to the NFL, he can put on weight, he can get back in an NFL training program. You know, he can pack on when you're 6'3, you can go to 220. I think what Dane said about how he has Manzel like on-field qualities, you see that because he moves like Manzel. I mean, he does. Like he doesn't I'd say like he moves like Manzel slash Russell. Like that's kind of what I see. Cause he's not moving to run. Like I don't think he's gonna break off any 40 or 50 yard touchdowns. I mean, like Mariota is faster than him. Ryan Tannehill is faster than him. Like you're going to see guys that are, are going to run better than he does, but he moves really well within the pocket and he has the ability to like find a hole and get there. Like he, like if he sees a lane to run, he can use his legs to get there and get first downs, which is the way that the NFL is going. The NFL is going that we want to running and throwing quarterback. We want to be able to beat defenses multiple ways. I mean, that's that's the direction this league is going, and I think Zach Wilson gets there. Uh, his his um, arm is, I think it, it might be as good as Trevor's. Like, he has arm strength that that I don't know if even Trevor has. I mean, there was a ball he threw against against UCF where he went, the, he kind of like, there, there was the two. There was the one where he felt pressure, climbed the pocket, moved right, then across his body, hit his running back on a wheel route perfectly in stride. And the running back made a great catch, like a great diving catch. But still, to just flick your wrist without your feet set, and the ball traveled like 40 yards in the air across his body on a line to the running back was remarkable. And on the same drive, he came back and he threw a touchdown. And it was another one where his receiver's not open. I mean, the corner's draped all over him. And he flicks his wrist and just throws a rocket ball. That goes, and he has such a quick release too. That's the other thing a couple scouts and people were telling me was that his release is so lightning quick. But the ball just goes on a line, like just a laser beam, and is just basically suctioned into the receiver's hands for a touchdown. I mean, those two throws are big lead, big league next next level throws. I mean, there there are, I don't think even Fields can make passes like that. But when you evaluate. Wilson, there's the butt. And there's no butts when you're talking about Lawrence because he's done it against the top-tier competition. He's done against Lowe. He does against everyone. He's already won a national title with Fields. There are concerns, obviously, with pocket presence and, and decision-making, but at least you know he's played top-tier competition. He's going to get a chance to go up against Clemson and, and these top-tier teams in, in, the, in the playoffs this year. With Wilson, so many times 
his first reads there. Like so many times his, his first option is wide open. He's not having to always thread the knee. He clearly can because we saw it, but he doesn't have to do it that often because the guy's always open, you know? And, and there's, there, there's the, the competition aspect of you can't overlook it. You can't, you, I mean, granted, like, look, that throw he made for that touchdown, the one we were just talking about, that's impressive whether, it, whether it's against Alabama or Maryland. Like, I mean, I can't think of a lower school than that. Like, and that, that's... <laughs> uh, uh, just snuck that one in there. Yeah, I was, trying to slide. I was trying to get through it without laughing, and I couldn't. Um, but, like, that, that throw is impressive no matter who the competition is. And, and you can make that throw against anyone. It's going to look the same against UCF as it does against Alabama as it will against the Bills. Like, it, it, it really doesn't matter who it's against. That's an impressive throw. But still, when he's doing it against lesser competition, there's just that little I don't I don't know yet. And I will say that that I came away impressed with him. And I came away with there's a lot of working pieces there and there's a lot to like. And now it's just a matter of how does Joe Douglas feel? Because we talked about it a little bit when we were just discussing Sam. With with this quarterback situation, you can't draft a quarterback just to draft a quarterback. You can't do that. You it's just it's it's basically career suicide if you're going to draft a quarterback simply for the fact of drafting a quarterback that's how you get yourself in trouble that's how you end up drafting uh christian ponder at like seven or whatever the vikings took him like that that's how you get into those situations you get you get in trouble when you're just drafting a quarterback to draft a quarterback but i liked a lot of what i saw from wilson i think there's franchise quarterback potential there i've been told there's been franchise quarterback potential there from an executive from a scout and from an agent dane feels like there's franchise quarterback potential there. So if Joe Douglas evaluates him and says, I think there's potential there, I would lean towards Wilson over Fields because there are things that the the only real bugaboo with Wilson is that he hasn't played anyone. And granted, he's not playing on a team that's loaded in NFL talent, but he still hasn't played played anyone in terms of like, he only played two ranked teams and it was Coastal Carolina and Boise State. So he's not playing like Ohio State. He's not even playing Penn State. Like he's not playing top like top programs that are usually pretty good and loaded with top recruits. But Fields is the guy who his decision making is a problem. Like when he gets when there's pressure around him, he has like brain farts where he's just throwing stuff. It's like, what are you doing? And then he also doesn't have any pocket presence where that just collapses in on him. Like it just it just closes in on him. And that's a that's a problem because that's usually an innate ability that you can't necessarily develop over time. So those are things that would, for me, lean me towards Wilson. And the one last point I do want to make is that when I was watching that game, the, the BYU game, is I, I did reach out to Dane and I said, I was like, man, I was like, because I, I, there's no way for me to know this, but I wanted to know if like he, if he's like a one read offense where he plays in a system where the first reads always open and that's where you throw, that's where you throw the ball and he never has to go through progressions. Dane said that there is a lot of one read portions of that BYU offense, but there's also a lot of Sean McVay in there. There's a lot of pro style in there. There's a lot of times where he does go through the progressions. There's times where he's at the line changing the play. So there is some one read, but it's not like he's coming to the off uh, coming to the jets like Bryce Petty and, and teach me how to play quarterback. You know, it's not like that there. He does have, he's, he has some experience going through progressions and all that stuff. So I, I, I would, I would lean that way. I, I would say I would I would hedge my bet that way in, in that I, I think Wilson is, is the better bet if Joe Douglas evaluates this and says he's a he's a franchise quarterback. And I would certainly take Zach I'll be honest, I, I would certainly take Zach Wilson over um I would certainly take Zach Wilson over uh Sam Darnold. I, in my pers- in my very reporter opinion, 
I think that the upside potential with Zach Wilson and also the upside potential with Justin Fields is greater than what you think you might potentially have in Sam. It just is because you get the rookie on the rookie contract. The Jets still have so many other picks. You can probably get a two and a five or a three and a five for Sam. I mean, there's so much that the more I think about it, the more I'm just that way. I'm I'm, ju- I'm jumping to that side of the fence where I, I think you just got to give up on Sam after this year. So the next uh, scouting opportunity for the Jets fan base is next Friday, New Year's Day. It'll be Justin Fields taking on Trevor Lawrence in that Sugar Bowl. It's the national semifinal, Ohio State and Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. Um, so I'm sure people want to tune into that. Um, it is interesting. I would say if Joe Douglas does feel that Zach Wilson and Justin Fields are both a guy, are both guys he would take, right? Then it opens things up, I think, Connor, because – one of those you would think probably Fields and not and not Zach Wilson. One of them may drift down a little bit in this draft, and that opens up the opportunity that you could trade the number two pick. I mean, it's this is a little gambling, but hey, you're building a team, right? It's the Jets, got to take a few shots. You could trade away that number two pick, stack up even more picks, and then maybe Fields falls to you a little bit later. I mean, I, he was what? In, I'm trying to think of Dane's last mock. He was like six or seven or somewhere yeah, in that range. I know it's tricky because you have to have, you can't f- trade back too far, right? You have, you can't fall back to a team that's really trying to come up to two to take that other quarterback. But if if you can kind of wiggle it and, and get that six and seven spot and then you still get your guy in picks, I mean, that could be the perfect situation. I agree with you. I, I was all on the, uh, the Justin Fields bandwagon early in the season, but seeing him play against better teams and it seems like he's, if anything, he's regressed a little bit over the course yeah. of this season. And he is beyond the fact that, you know, he struggled against pretty good defenses. The talent around him is also ridiculous. That receiving yeah. core from Ohio State, maybe it's not as good as Alabama's, um, but it is really good. He's throwing balls out there and guys are making ridiculous catches. So, yeah. but just one more thing, thing to think about is the that chance, right, to make the trade and still get a guy that you want. And it's something I would definitely consider. It's something that I think needs to be on Joe Douglas's mind, but he also can't get cute because the last thing you want to do is try to get cute, think you're going to get the guy by moving back, and then lose the guy that you ultimately want. And I know there are going to be teams that want to come up to number two for Penny Sewell because he's going to be the franchise left tackle. He's And then obviously if the Jets were to draft him, you got to figure out who do you move because Sewell's not a right tackle. He's a left tackle, and Becton's not a left ta- or right tackle. He's a left tackle. Neither of those guys are going to want to go to right tackle because left tackles are the tackles that get paid, not right tackles. So there is a lot to break down there. It's not Madden. You know, it's not like everyone's just fine moving to right tackle. That's not how this works. But looking at the draft order right now, because Tim, I think you do bring up a really interesting point with that. Is you have the Jaguars obviously at one, the Jets at number two. That's locked in. Then the way that things are shaping out right now, and this will obviously change because of how the cluster F that the NFC East is. But you have the Dolphins at number three, the Falcons at number four, the Bengals at number five, the Eagles at number six, the Lions at number seven, the Giants at number eight, Panthers at number nine, Broncos at number 10. Very quickly going down this, I think the Falcons are going to stick with Matt Ryan. Obviously, the Bengals don't need one. The Eagles, I think, will go into next year with either Hurts or go with Hurts and uh, Carson Wentz and let them battle it out. The Lions could potentially use a quarterback if they decide to give up on Stafford. But the ones that really I would say like, okay, that's a quarterback needy team. Jaguars, Jets, obviously. Panthers at t- nine. Broncos at 10. So as the Jets continue to move back, it 
opens up the opportunity for those other teams to move up. So what the Jets need to do is, is if they're at two, the last thing that I would, the only thing that I would consider doing at two is I would think maybe you go back to four if the Falcons are coming up for Penny Sewell. If they say, okay, we're going to ride with Matt Ryan again. We just want some additional offensive line help. We want Sewell. I would then say, all right, Jets, you go from two back down to four. But the issue with doing that is now the Dolphins at number three. They say, okay, well, we don't really like Lamar Chase that much. Who wants the quarterback? Come up and get Wilson. Come up and get Fields. You're suddenly then opening up the opportunity for the Denver Broncos, for the Carolina Panthers, for the Lions if they're moving away from Stafford, to go up and get the guy that they believe is their franchise quarterback. And it's happened before. Washington went up for RG3. The Eagles went up for Carson Wentz. Um, then I guess the last time a quarterback went one and two was, I think, Tampa with, with the Winston Mariota. And I think both of the, I'm pretty sure, yeah, the Bucks and Titans both drafted those guys organically. They had the one and two pick. So if I was the Jets, I honestly, I truly believe this. The only trade back opportunity, if I, if, if Joe Douglas says, these guys are franchise quarterbacks, they're, they're guys, I want these guys, they're, they're my franchise quarterbacks. The only real trade back opportunity is if the Jets wanted to go from two to three so that, one of these teams, I like, guess, like the Dolphins, are like you know, I just don't want to mess around. I want Sewell. Or if the Bengals are like, the Bengals are ending up picking four, and they're like, I just, I want to get Sewell. I want, I want to get the, I want to get the tackle. It's what I want to do. They go up and they get the guy. But it, it's when it comes to to quarterbacks like this, where it's going to be, I think, polarizing opinions on quarterbacks, where you're going to either love these guys or you're not going to love these guys. You don't want to try to get too cute because as soon as you move back behind teams, yeah, these teams don't necessarily need quarterbacks. Yeah, these teams wouldn't technically get one but you're opening up the possibility for the Lions to go up if they move away from Stafford, for the Broncos to go up, for the Panthers to go up. You can even go further down the line if the Vikings at number 13 right now are ready to give up on Cousins. They want to go up and get their guy. The Patriots at 15, they're loaded with draft picks. They can go up and get their quarterback. I mean, you you, you kind of open up, um, what's that box that everyone talks about? Is it Pandora's box? Is that the saying? Yes. You open up, you open yes. up Pandora's yep. box. You open, you open up that box everyone talks about. Uh, you open up that box that could cause issues moving forward where you, 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 if you can move back one or two spots, maybe, but you just don't want to get too cute. Interesting. You mentioned the dolphins there at three, because it would be, you'd think maybe in their mind, right? If they don't necessarily love chase, but if they traded back and still wanted a receiver, you have those two Alabama receivers that are going to be in this draft to pair them up with Tua, kind of a reuniting of, of the guys he was throwing to at Alabama. That'd be interesting. Yep. Um, all right. So well, I think Tua we, looks, we, how about hurts, by the way, looking better than Tua, like <laughs> subst- yeah. like significantly better than Tua. Like it, it's not even really like Tua looks bad. Like Fitz is the uh, best. And, and, and Tua is going to start. If you, that's a must win for them versus the Bills that? next yeah. week. Yeah. I, I'd be, I mean, I guess like as soon as he starts to struggle, they'll just put in Fitz, but. Who knows? It might be too late. If that's a must win. And I mean, I just keep thinking back to um, before the season started. And when we had our AFC East picks, there was somebody at the athletic that picked the dolphins to win. And Connor made a joke that like, Oh, I was probably Bo. Like what a dumb pick. <laughs> and now I the did dolphins, say that. That does sound yes, like, I'll go back and the, I'll go back division? and pull the receipt. Well, they didn't win the division. I mean, they were, I know, were... but Hey, like they have 10 wins and could be yeah, that's the fifth seed in the playoffs. Pretty crazy, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, they shouldn't have won that game versus the Raiders. Like, that was the, – the Raiders lost that game. The Dolphins right. didn't win that game. But, hey, yeah. Fitz came in and proved why he's still in the league all these years later. So. I like Fitz, man. Good, and I think that's him, why yeah. they, 
I yeah. think that's why they do that because Fitz has this there's this magical right. quality when he comes off yeah. the bench more so than when he starts. I think when he starts, it's like, eh, he's fine. But when you see him coming in, it's like, yeah. oh boy, he's got that little that little fire that we were that, talking that gets about. Going. We were talking about that in the uh, in the press box, Costello and I, and uh, or the three of me, Costello and Rich were all kind of talking about it. And the thing with Fitz, and we know it from covering him for two years, is that you know very early on what fits you're getting it's almost like, like you know when the game starts like because when that guy gets on Fitz doesn't miss like he's like he's he can when he gets on one of those games where it's clicking for him the guy does not miss and the Ra- raider game Fitz came off the bench and he was not missing and as soon as he got the ball you're like the guy's gonna he's gonna do something and, but then you can also have the game like he started when the jets needed him to win against the an undermanned bills team and I mean, an undermanned, lifeless Bills team, and the Jets just needed a victory to get to the postseason in 15. And Fitz comes out, and it was very clear early on he did not have it. And he ends up throwing three interceptions, and it doesn't work for him. So uh, it's, it's, uh, that whole quarterback dynamic in Miami is fascinating to me. And I, I'm, I, two is one guy coming out of the draft where I, I wasn't totally sold on him yet. Like, I liked Herbert actually more. I, I just, I don't know. I, I just liked Herbert for whatever reason. I liked him when I thought he might come out the year before. And then well, he plus you had the injury with Tua, which I was right. shocked he went as high as he did. Yeah, it was just which I think was like just... just a year ago, right? right? Like, so he's still probably not fully. You know, they didn't even funky. think he would play. Yeah, they didn't even think he would. You know, so maybe I think he looks funky. He's not. I don't know. I some something about him. I'm like, eh, I don't. I don't know. Something about him just makes you feel weird. All right. Well, we actually got an interesting uh, question in the chat. I'll throw this out uh, because it's one more thing relating to quarterbacks. And it's from Armand in the chat. He says, if Joe Douglas and the scouts don't like the quarterbacks in the draft class, is there a chance they would look into trading for Jordan Love from the Packers? What kind of a draft pick would that take to get to pry him away? No, I think they would run with no, they'd they'd roll with um what do you call it again? They would run with they would run with Sam again. If they don't believe in in him, I could see the Jets doing something where so if they if they evaluate Wilson and they evaluate and they're like we don't like either of these guys, I think the Jets will number one try to trade back. They'll try to trade back to somebody who does believe in these quarterbacks and wants to move up for Wilson or wants to move up for Fields, get a boatload of picks and continue to build. Then I think in free agency they'll look to add a quarterback to pair with Sam. So I think they'll look to add Mariota or they'll look to add I don't think Winston, I don't think Winston's really a, a Douglas guy, but I think they'd look to add a Marcus Mariota, bring him in here and have Darnold and Mariota and okay, Darnold's your starting quarterback, but if Darnold starts to struggle, you yank the like you yank it on him and Mariota becomes your starter. I think that would probably be the more realistic option than trading for like the Joe Douglas isn't going to trade for a quarterback. He would run with Sam and probably sign a veteran and, and say, okay, let's roll with these two guys. And if one doesn't work, we've got a contingency option. And then we got to look for our long-term franchise quarterback, you know, in next year's draft. But I think the thing to remember here, and, and it's something to stress, is that the Jets have been real, a really bad football team for a very long time. They haven't been to the fo- they haven't been to the playoffs in ten years. You know, this number two pick is their highest draft selection since 1996 when they picked first overall. So as bad as the Jets are. They have never organically been higher than six. So think about that. All the bad years with McCagnan, the bad year with Fitz, with Darnold's rookie year. They were never, even when things went south with Rex, they were never organically picking higher than six. They had to, or yeah, Quinn and I guess three. So they were at three once before, and then they were at six. This is number two. This is the number two pick in the draft. You can't just 
assume you're going to be back here and in this position to draft a quarterback again. So if they think these guys are franchise quarterbacks, if they believe this is the guy, you take them. If you don't believe he's a franchise quarterback, then you take best player available and you find out what else to do with the quarterback. And I think that would be signing Mariota and then running it back again with Sam. All right, a couple of shout-outs from Sunday. Uh, we haven't talked about the game really at all, but uh, Frank Gore hit 16,000 yards in his career, third player to do that. Amazing, and we've talked a lot about why Frank Gore shouldn't be getting carries this season. Maybe Adam Gase just wanted to get him to 16,000 yards. I don't know. And the and other thing I'm trying to get exactly, him to 17,000 against did the Patriots. Did he get to watch. exactly 16,000 too? Yes, I believe yeah. that he, got, he then, needed four yards, and he got four yards on that carry, and then he got banged good. up and left the game. So yeah. I think... So maybe I maybe you you rest him. Well, there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> you know, to rest Adam, him. do you not? Do I mean, you, you there's know, a lot you, of reasons to rest him. But what one of the week are we on this podcast? Him. You think Gore's getting a rest? <laughs> you'd you'd hate to see him like lose two yards on his first carry and like injure himself and be back under sixteen thousand. So Adam, just rest him. Let's see a lot of P Ryan uh, coming okay. up on Sunday. Okay. Um, and we talk about Beckton every week and how great he was. Another test against Miles Garrett. Uh, this week, Garrett got him a couple of times, but overall, I would say that that Becton had a very nice game. I mean, the the two times I think that it was that Garrett gets by him, right one speed that. rush around the outside, those like hold in your memory. But when you look at the game collectively, I think Becton was really good. Again, obviously, against one of the the elite rushers in the league. Yeah, I mean, he had his like he he had the times when he struggled. I mean, where he, the two sacks, I think he was called for two false starts, and then obviously he had a couple of pressures with that. But again. He's going against one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And and with Becton, there's going to be learning curves. And there's going to be times when he's not great. And there's going to be times when it's not all clicking. And it's all about, okay, how can we keep trying to get Becton to the better point? And, and this year overall, no matter what happens in Week 17, was a serious step in the right direction for the number 11 pick in the draft. For a guy that some people didn't necessarily know was going to be pro-ready, who the Jets drafted and thought originally, okay, maybe there's a chance – we have Fant start at left tackle, Chuma at right tackle, and we wait for Becton to develop. For him to come in week one, get to see some of the things that Becton's seen, whether it was Bosa for a brief time in, in week two, whether it was Farrell with the Raiders, whether it was now Garrett and, and so many of the others that he's gotten a chance to play against, you're, it's all learning experiences, and it's all putting things in his bank of knowledge to pull from. And, and after another offseason training with Duke, who we had on the podcast not long ago, another offseason of NFL coaching, and then also a full offseason of of preparing in the NFL, you know, COVID permitting, where he's going to get now organized team activities. He's going to get mini camp. He's going to get a full training camp. He's going to get preseason and then week one. I mean, that's the thing to remember is Becton's been doing all of this when the first time he went up against NFL defenders was the first day of training camp. He didn't have any acclimation period. There was none of that. So for him to finally get to experience that off of an already promising rookie year. I mean, the Jets have a good one on their hands. They have a really, really good one on their hands. So one more thing I wanted to mention before we say goodbye, and this is for all Jets fans out there, I think for the first time since maybe week five, (laughs) Jets fans can go into a game on Sunday and collectively root for the team that they root for. You can actually root for the Jets again on Sunday against the Patriots. The tank is over. The the pick is set at number two. So go out there and, you know, cheer on the Jets versus the Patriots and and see if they can um, take down Belichick. I feel like with it the way it is and the Jets locked in at two, the Patriots probably won't rest as many starters, and, and it'll be interesting to see where that game goes. This Patriots team is not a good football team. No, and then why? Like watch watch for the future. Like this is on its own. I wouldn't say a glorified preseason game, but 
see if Chris Herndon can't can't build off now two solid games in a row and make it a third and get into the end zone again and 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 maybe like start to build momentum that he could be the guy because the Jets are going to add a receiver this offseason. And if they once they add a receiver, they're going to go into whether it's for Sam, Mariota, Wilson or Fields, they're going to have a trio of potentially Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay, Denzel Mims and Jamison Crowder. That's a very good one or yeah, that's a very good one, two, three punch. And they'll probably then add someone in the middle rounds of the draft. You add Chris Herndon to the mix. Look at what Ertz meant to the Eagles for so many years before he got old. Look at what Kelsey means to the Chiefs. Look at what Waller means to the uh, Waller means to the Raiders. Like this is a year where tight, like this is a league where tight ends are really starting to make a difference. And if Herndon can be another weapon for the Jets, like good for them. Like now they've got three legitimate wide receivers and a tight end. Then you can focus on maybe adding Marlon Mack in free agency. But then if you pair him with the guys you're going to see on Sunday, hopefully some extra Ty Johnson. Hopefully some some extra P Ryan. See what those guys can do to again see what the potential running back rotation can look like next year. Then obviously we've talked about this ad nauseum, but Becton, like what Becton's gonna look like. Maybe Basham, he's played really well. Look at Bryce Hall. Pat, look at these. Pat Elfine looked really good yesterday. Again, since they added him. Like, really again, good. Yeah. Yeah. Since they I added him. I mean, they you can keep yeah. keep keep chipping away at, at like little pieces. And I actually just, I literally just sent this text to somebody. Like the Jets are a bad football team. They're two and thirteen. But I'll be honest, with between and it, maybe this is blind fate that I have just from talking to people around the league about Joe Douglas and because I have, I've, I've called everyone imaginable about this guy and everyone signs off to the point where if Joe Douglas fails, I'm just never going to write about a GM again because then that will convince me that no one knows. But I I believe that this guy knows what the hell he's doing. I believe the Jets have somebody running point on this organizational structure in terms of draft free agency picking the coach i believe they finally have somebody running point who knows what the hell he's doing and and is going to get this thing going in the right direction and there are teams that have won seven games this year there are teams that have won eight games this year there are teams that have won nine games this year there's the entire nfc east that is competing to win the division at six or seven wins that i believe is further away from legitimate contention than the jets i think the jets even if they're they're two and 14 or three and 13 between the the young core group of players that they've started to accumulate with Douglas, whether you want to talk about Becton, you want to talk about Mims, P. Ryan, Bryce Hall, whoever, Ashton Davis, who we, unfortunately the world didn't see too enough of this year, but a super talented kid, the massive treasure trove of money that he has to spend over the next two years, the huge cash of draft picks that he spent the last two years accumulating, the Jets have a real shot to turn this around, turn it around pick quick, and position themselves per, for perennial contention both within the AFC East playoff appearances and eventual Super Bowl runs I mean they are in a position to do it and and I think the future is bright I really do believe that I mean they've got to get the right coach they've got to get the right they've got to get the right quarterback there are things they have to do otherwise it's not going to happen but they at least have somebody driving it that knows what he's doing or seemingly knows what he's doing and 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 good for them and and i i honestly believe the future is bright here it's not as bright as when trevor lawrence was here that was for certain i mean that was going to be wild but they have a chance to turn this around and, and really make make some moves in the nfl moving forward and i know it's been a miserable season been a miserable decade for jet fans but but i think the future is bright maybe i'm wrong i've been wrong before wrong a lot i mean ask Bree, she'll tell you but i think that they uh they, they got a chance here they really do it played out really. I mean, anybody, you're obviously upset about missing out on Trevor Lawrence, but the Jaguars deserve the number one pick. This is a team that's been in the tank. 
committed to the tank since 2019. I mean, they started trading away talent and were committed to, to doing this long ago. And while the Jets had the inside track all season long, if you look at where the two teams are, like you said, the Jets closer to contention than a lot of teams. Jaguars are so far away. They they really were the team that probably deserves Lawrence. And well, I don't know if you can say deserves for tanking. That that depends on your philosophy. But uh, But they were the team that that really put their heart into uh, being this bad. The Jets were actually going into the season trying to win. Uh, it just didn't work out. So that's going to do it for us uh, for this edition. We are going to be back uh, later this week to get you ready for that final game of the season for the Patriots, probably the final game of the Adam Gase era. We'll talk about that. We'll try to come up with some maybe some good Adam Gase topics to talk about on Wednesday. So join us then. Uh, follow us all on Twitter. Connor's at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Marissa's at Marissa underscore Morris. Still a couple more days to take advantage of our holiday deal at The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. Right now, if you gift a subscription, you get one free for yourself. That's through January or through December 31st. So until the new year. So a couple more days to take advantage of that. We'll talk to you again later this week.